Blog Talk Radio. Stevie B's Media Production is a part of the Shellcaster Network. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by members of the Churches of Christ. With your host, Stevie R. Butler, you're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. state of North Carolina with my co-host Tim Bench from the state of Texas, Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Courtney Carruthers from the state of Illinois, Steve Cordo from the state of Illinois, Dr. Frank Washington from the state of Florida, Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey, and Robert Lee Johnson from the state of Florida. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just grateful that you are tuning into our radio broadcast this evening. This radio show is being brought to you by loving and faithful members of the Churches of Christ. We ask you to take out your Bibles and study along with us. We have a very exciting show planned for your spiritual enlightenment and your edification. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, just give me a call to the live show at 713-955-0508. If you have any questions or comments for any of my co-hosts, you can send your emails to my new email address, ButlerSteve1009 at Yahoo.com or you can give me a call at Stevie B's Media Production Studio at 910-491-6405. Now again, this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ. And if you need any assistance in locating a congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now folks, get out your Bibles and study along with us here on the Gospel Live Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Before we go into our program for this evening, I would ask that you would bow with me in a word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Our most kind, gracious, loving, heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day and placing it on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we are prepared now to present a portion of your holy and divine word. Father, we praise you to be with my co-host on the show this evening, Brian Christian Coleman and Steve Cordell, as they break unto us the bread of life. And also my co-host Clay Phillips as he answers the questions that are on the hearts of so many. We pray that you will bless them and their families that support their efforts, that they may continue to sow the seed 
of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you would bless our listeners who are tuning in via blog talk radio as well as through social media. We pray that they may listen well and that their hearts may be pricked as they consider their eternal stance before you and their soul salvation. And it will cause them to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Father, we thank you so much for sending the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, to die such a cruel death on Calvary's cross. We recognize that without such a sacrifice, we would not have a hope of eternal life. Father, even now, we ask that you would forgive us for the transgressions of our own heart. We know our flesh is weak, and we often fall short of your will. Father, we pray that you will continue to bless us and keep us and love us all the days of our lives. And that we have been faithful until death. Father, we pray that you would save us. For it's in Christ's name we do ask it all. Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to the broadcast in the first segment of the show. My co-host, Brian Christian Coleman, he serves with the Newark Church of Christ there in Newark, New Jersey. He'll be making his proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the second segment, my co-host, Clay Phillips, he serves the Rose City Church of Christ there in Rose City, Thomasville, Georgia. He'll be answering our question in the shouted out segment of the broadcast. And then to close out the show, my co-host, Steve Cordell, he serves as the evangelist. He has a new work there in East Park Church of Christ there in Danville, Illinois. And he'll be making this proclamation of the gospel of Christ to close out the show. So open up your Bibles and open your minds and let's have a great show. After the break, the next voice you hear will be that of my co-host, Brian Christian Coleman. Enjoy the show. Send the light, oh the blessed God. 
eyes full of light. Let it shine from dark shore. listening to the gospel light radio show give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of jesus christ now my co-host brian christian coleman and his subject get over it and let's go good evening brothers and sisters of the churches of christ throughout this land and country and throughout the world and also any visitors that are joining us this evening we welcome you to this time of study where we can learn more of God's Word. I would like you to turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 45, beginning with verse number 1. Genesis chapter 45, beginning with verse number 1. In the Bible reads, Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him, and he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. Stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Does my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said to his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near to him, came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, yet ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. Remember this part, preserve life in verse number five. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall be neither earring nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve your posterity in the earth and save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. Underline, but God and has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house. 
and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Drop down to verse 13. And ye shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that ye have seen. And ye shall haste and bring down my father hither. If that's in your Bible, say amen. I like to speak as the Spirit guides me this evening on the lesson, get over it and let it go. Get over it and let it go. Start off my lesson this evening by asking a question. Who's on your list? Now, I'm not talking about your telephone list. I'm not talking about your friendship list. I'm not talking about your, your wish list. I'm asking you, who's on your hit list? We all have someone that has messed over us in the past but it's still messing with you in your presence. There was a car accident that one of the members of the church had, and I went to see her while she was in the emergency room. And she told me that the doctor said there's no injuries really to you, but you need to make an appointment with your primary physician because you're going to have some lingering after effects from this accident. How many of you have had people that's messed over you in your past and is causing lingering after effects in your present, and those lingering after effects are causing some trouble for you? You thought that this thing was over, but the lingering after effects have affected you spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Every time you hear some music that reminds you of them, you get sick. Every time you see somebody that looks like them, you want to go upside their head. Every time you drive by the spot where you used to frequent when you did what you did with them, you get upset. It's because of the lingering after effects. The enemy does not always get you in the accident. Sometimes the enemy gets us in the lingering after effects. And I don't know who you are, but you have someone that has messed over in your past it is now messing with you in your presence. And if you don't deal with the lingering after effects and get rid of the lingering after effects, it will cause your own self-downside, your own destiny, paralyze your possibilities, then you cannot go where God wants you to go. You know, lingering after effects may be unavoidable, but how you, de- how you deal with it depends on you. Lingering after effects is not the person that caused the accident, but how long you hold on to it is what can take you out of this world. We see here Joseph has been blessed by God. He is now prime minister in Egypt. He is second to Pharaoh. God, and you know what? God doesn't have to bless you on his territory, but he can bless you on the enemy's territory and make the enemy give you the blessing. Am I right about it? We need to stop it asking God to remove us from certain situations, from certain folk, remove us from this job and that job. God says, I don't have to move you to bless you. God can bless you on the enemy's territory, and the enemy can't stop you from getting the blessing. Am I right about it? Folks, on your job, watch you get your blessing and try to stop you. And they were blessing blockers. The loan officer didn't want to give you the loan because he didn't like the color of your skin. He didn't like your ethnicity. Even though you have bad credit, you have gotten the loan. The same folk that try to block your blessings will be the same folk that might have come to you one day and asked 
for a blessing. Be careful how you treat folk on the way up because you'll make, meet those same people on the way down. You may be up today and be down tomorrow. You may be well today, but a sick day is coming tomorrow. You may have money today and may be bankrupt tomorrow. And the person that you wrote off yesterday might be the person that has a blessing in his or her hand to help you through what you're going through today. He can bless you on the enemy's territory. Basically here in this text, it deals with Joseph encountering his brethren. When they realized who he was, you know what happened? They got scurvy. They got scurvy because they thought what they had done to him, he was going to turn around and do to him. The golden rule says, therefore, all things, what is so, ye would that men should do to you, do also unto them. For this is the law and the prophets. The golden rule is not saying treat people the way they treat you. Because that was the case, we would be living an eye by an eye and a tooth by a tooth. And we all be blind and snaggle tooth. The golden rule is not saying treat people the way you want to be treated. Some of us have an unhealthy view of how they feel that they should be treated. But I want you to, to treat people the way, don't treat people the way you want to be treated, but treat people the way God treats you. I know God gives grace. He gives mercy to the wicked. When you find yourself doing wrong, do not need to, boot, don't be bougie and erudite person looking down on me. I need mercy when I am down. I need grace when I'm down. Every now and then, when I am not feeling lovable, I need someone that can love in spite of myself. Every, t- every now and then, I need a judge who will, not, who will look past my fault because my appearance and judgment righteously. I don't want to treat folk the way they treat me. I don't want to treat folk the way they want to be treated. I want to treat folk the way God treats me. Get over it and let it go. And there is therapy in letting stuff go. There is therapy in forgiveness. Forgiveness is not only benefits the one that caused the hurt, but it is beneficial for those who got hurt because the longer you hold on to it, the longer it will hold on to you. The longer you hold on to it, the meaner and nastier you're going to get. You have no, you're not always been nasty, you don't, so you need to let it go. The person that you're mad at, they have moved on. Isn't it right, brothers and sisters? People that we're mad at in the church, they don't moved on with their life. They don't even give you a second thought. You're not even on their radar. You're not even a thought in their mind. But when, we, when you have just held on to some stuff that you need to let go, it's time to let it go. It's time to release it. It's time to forgive. When you do not forgive, you become a prisoner of your own unforgiveness. There is something in your yesterday messing with you today. If there are folk that have messed over you in your past, I've dropped by to tell you, it is time to live. It is time to get your courage, your self-respect back. It is time to get over it and let it go. I know it is hard to forget. When you say you forgive, because you're like the elephant, you don't forget. But if, but but the way you can move on is the way you need to do when you have a truly forgiven them. They do not have to report to you when you have truly forgiven them. 
and it did not have to come to you, but when you don't move on and put conditions on your forgiveness. The diff- what I'm trying to talk about here, there's two different elements here. There is, you have one way of forgiving, which is, pro- which is parole, and you have a second one, which is called pardon. See, parole means they've always got to come back to you. But when you pardon somebody, that lets them know that I, even though I remember what you did, I'm going to treat you like, I've, like you've never done it. That's why it's important for us that we need to learn how to get over some stuff and let it go. And when you do learn to forget and let it go, the fire does not burn as long as it used to burn. When you forgive and forget, the details become less cloudy and harder to remember. When you truly have forgiven them and say, baby, you don't have to ever come to me again. I'm going to treat you like I'm supposed to. Even if it's in the back of my mind, I cannot forget. But I'm going to act like I don't remember it. Aren't you glad God treats us the same way? God is a forgiving God. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse number 12, the Bible says, I will remember your sins no more. Now you may ask, how can I forgive and let it go? There are three rules that I want you to remember this evening. Rule number one, don't make what is private public. I think I need to say that again. Don't you make what is private public. Problem with your brother and sister, you go to your brother or sister and you go to them alone. You've got some members of the church who are not spiritually mature, and they want to bring an audience with them when you may have made a mistake, when you may have said something that was wrong, and you want to bring your gang around and gang up on this individual. But I stop by to tell you, if you've got a problem with your brother, handle it the way the Bible teaches us to handle it. Go to your brother and go to him alone. Don't bring nobody with you. Handle it by yourself. Here's rule number two. This is going to mess somebody up. True forgiveness is not who is right, but it's making things right. See, many times when we go to someone and we're asking for their forgiveness, they always talking about, well, you did this, and you naturally fire back, well, you did this to me. True forgiveness is not about who is right. True forgiveness is about making things right. And here's number three. I know someone's not going to handle this too well, Brother Butler, but here's number three for you. Bless someone who tried to block your blessing. I know that's some heavy stuff. Bless somebody who tried to block your blessing. That means if you see them needing help, go help them. If they need a job and they pray to the church and you have some influence on with your boss, them get a job interview. If they need some money for some food in their house, give them $40. If, you, if they need a ride back home and they live further and the bus sometime is running late, offer them a ride home. You're going to sit there and say, brother, that's too much religion. But I'm telling you, if, you, if you're truly forgiving somebody, you can do these things. Now, you may ask, why to forgive and let it go? Here's three rules for that. I can get over it and let it go because what I have left is more than what I lost. You see, sometimes you may lose some stuff. Hello? 
sometimes you're going to lose some stuff. But I stop by the stuff go. Because guess what? God's got something better for you. If you lost that job, God's got a better job waiting for you. If you lost that girl who was acting all snobbish towards you, don't worry about it. God's got a holy girl waiting on you. If you got you had a man and he treated you wrong and spoke to you the wrong way, let it go. God's got a better man for you. I just stopped by to tell you, God will replace and give you more than what you lost. And let me just tell you this. There was a story about a, two cousins that were playing their, their Nintendo game, their, 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 their PlayStation. And one cousin was blessed a little bit more than the cousin was. And they were playing the PlayStation, and the other cousin got jealous. And what he did was he smashed the PlayStation. And you know what? Now, naturally, the other cousin could have gone upside his head. But you know what he did? He remembered what his father told him. He said, cuz, it's all right. Because my daddy taught me a long time ago, son, don't get too close with stuff. Because either one or two things are going to happen. You're going to leave it, going to leave you. So you know what? It's okay, cuz, it's no problem. And then later on, his father came home and saw the PlayStation smashed on the floor. And he questioned his son, saying, son, what happened to your PlayStation? And he told the story. He said, well, you know, Cuz was over here, and he was a little mad about me having this PlayStation, and he smashed it. And the father said, what did you, you do? Well, Dad, I remember what you told me about not getting too close to stuff. Either it's going to leave you or you're going to leave it. So I wanted to go upside his head, but I remembered those words you told me. And you know what, Dad? I said, it's all right. And the father heard this, and he left the room, and he said under his breath, that's my boy. And then later on, about a couple of days later, his son came home from school, and on his bed was a new PlayStation with all the new games, Madden, and all the new games that were there. And his father walked in the room and said, he said, Daddy, why didn't you give me this? His son you forgave your cousin for his mistreatment, how he treated your, your stuff. And I decided to give you an upgrade. And I stopped by to tell you tonight that when you forgive the way you need to and let things go, God is going to give you an upgrade. And if you just ask God to help you through what you're going through, he's got an upgrade waiting for you. Am I right about it? Now, number two, Joseph lost a lot of stuff because of what he had been done to him. But he remembered one thing. He is still Joseph. They may have tried to change his name. Y'all remember Ruth with Kunta Kente? They wanted him to be called Toby. And he kept on saying, my name is Kunta Kente. And they kept on whipping him, and finally he said, my name is Toby. And I still remember Fiddler. When they took him down off of that rope, he said, it don't matter what they say your name is. You know who you are. You're still Kunta Kente. And I stopped by to tell you, no matter what you've gone through, your name is still Joseph. And don't let anyone change your name. They may say that you're not anything. You're just like your daddy. You're just like your mama. But I stopped by to tell you, my name is still Joseph. No matter what you go through, remember who you are. Remember that you're a child of God. Remember that you're his son. You remember that you are a 
priest, you're part of a priesthood, a priesthood. You are great in the sight of God. And my last point here, God can use the pain of my past, pawn, in his providential purpose. Am I right about it? Let me give you the historicity of Joseph, and then I'm going to take my seat. Joseph lived with his father Jacob in the land of Canaan. And Joseph at the time was 17 years of age, Genesis 37 and verse number 2. Joseph's father, Jacob, had four wives. You talk about baby mama drama. That means each of the four wives competed for the attention of Jacob. And Joseph had 11 brothers and one sister. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 37 and 3 that Jacob loved Joseph more than all his other children because he was the son of his old age, meaning Jacob wasn't a young spring chicken when he had Joseph. He was an older man when he had Joseph, and he loved him. Not only did he love him, he showed his love to Joseph more than his other children because he made Joseph a coat of many colors. Also, it should be brought out that his mother died giving birth to his baby brother Benjamin. Now, what, what got Joseph in trouble with his brothers was not the fact that he started, he, not the fact of the, of the goat of the of the coat of many colors. It's because he shared what God had placed on his spirit. Sometimes you have to be careful who you share your thoughts with in your family, amongst your friends, and even amongst members of the church. Because some people are not spiritually mature to handle what God has placed on your spirit. So when Joseph had, had boasted his dreams, and he informed his brothers about his dreams. And when he came to his brothers one day to check on them, in Genesis 37 and 8, they conspired to kill him. They placed Joseph in a pit. And later on that day, they sold him into slavery to the Israelites, who were headed down to Egypt. And they sold Joseph for 20 pieces of silver. Don't they kind of remind you of Jews later on? They brought Joseph down to Egypt and sold him to Potiphar. Now, Potiphar was an officer in Pharaoh's army and captain of the guard. Genesis 37 and verse number 36. And the Bible says that Potiphar recognized and saw that God was with Joseph. Genesis chapter 39 and verse number 3. And the Bible says, and the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. That means no matter the situation that you're facing, just remember, stay close to God. I didn't say stay close to your bosom buddy. Don't stay close to your friend. But the thing is, stay close to God because when you do that, folk will recognize that God is with you. And you know what God will cause? He's going to cause your enemies to leave you alone. He will cause your enemy to be your footstool. That's why it's important to stay close to God when you have no, when your change is strange and your money is funny, when you just don't know where you're going to get your next meal from. Stay close to God because God will make a way. That's why it's important to maintain your composure when you're dealing with someone. Having Joseph as a servant, everything went well, and Potiphar prospered because of the fact Joseph was part of his household. And the Bible says that Joseph, 
that Joseph found grace in his sight, meaning Potiphar, and he served him and made him overseer over his house. And all that he made, he had, he put it in his hand. Genesis 39 and verse number 4. Then you know what happened later on. When you're doing right, evil is not long around the corner. Am I right about it? Then Mrs. Potiphar tried to get her swerve on, and she came to Joseph. You know, she was bold, and she said, lay with me. Maintain his commitment to God. And he said in Genesis 39 and 9, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Then when he had, then when she had couldn't get what she wanted from Joseph, that last time around, Joseph left his coat. And you know what she turned around and did? She lied on Joseph and said that Joseph was trying to get with her when it was her trying to get from, with him. Now, here's the interesting thing. What did, what did Potiphar do? Because, you know, the penalty for trying to, for the accusation of raping an Egyptian was death. But Potiphar put him in prison. Now, that lets you know that he didn't believe that Joseph wanted anything to do with that ugly woman. But he had to save face, and he had to put him in jail. But you know what happened when he put him in jail? The, the jail keeper saw that God was with him, and he put him over the whole jail. I just stopped by to tell you, you just keep on serving God and watch God bless you in many different ways. And he, again, he's going to bless you on the enemy territory. And then while he's in prison, we see in Genesis 39, 23 to 20, 21 to 23, the baker and the butler were placed in prison. And you know what? Joseph listened to them and interpreted their dreams. And he told the baker, you're going to get out of here in three days, but not with your head. He told the butler in three days, you're going to get out of here, and Pharaoh is going to restore you back to your job. And he asked one thing, don't forget about him. And you know what? You have helped people, and they've forgotten about you. But God, who sits high and looks low, is remembering what you do. And you know what? Three days went by, and the butler went back to Pharaoh. And he forgot about Joseph for three years until Pharaoh had that dream. And after Pharaoh had both dreams, he tried to get good with Pharaoh and said, I know a little boy in jail who can interpret dreams. And he got him out of prison, and Joseph interpreted the dreams. And you know what happened after all he went through? Joseph became the big baller, shot caller, number one stunner in all of Egypt. He became the big baller, shot caller, number one stunner in all of Egypt. God is going to take you from your pit. He's going to take you from your prison. And he's going to set you up in the palace. And everyone is going to have to come to you. I just thought by when you forgive people right and you handle things right, God is going to bless you. See here that in Genesis 45 and verse number 8, and the Bible says right here, verse 8 says, So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. Joseph realized and recognized 
that God was orchestrating the whole thing all the time to preserve the children of Israel. And aren't you glad he did that? Because if you didn't have a Joseph, you wouldn't have had a Moses. If you didn't have a Moses, you wouldn't have had a Joshua. If you didn't have a Joshua, you wouldn't have had a David. And if you didn't have a David, you wouldn't have had Christ. See, God is orchestrating things right now. So if you've been downhearted right now and you feeling you all by yourself and no one is helping you, I stop by to tell you, God's got a plan for your, and a purpose for you. When you came out of your mother's womb, you had a purpose. And he has a purpose for you right now. You've just got to hold on to God's unchanging hand. You've just got to know that God's got a plan, and you've just got to be patient like Job and wait for that plan to come through. And God's got a plan, and he's got a blessing for you right around the corner. Am I right about it? And if you are not a member of the Church of Christ, you've got to do five simple things in order to become a member of the church. You've got to hear the gospel, Romans 10, 17. For faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You've got to believe what you've heard, John 8, 24. Except you believe that I'm he, you will die your sins. And if you die in your sins, he says, where I am, you cannot come. Then you must repent of your sins. Luke 13, 3 and 5, he, the, the master said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Then you must confess the sweetest words that you will ever say. I believe that Jesus Christ is God's son. And after that, you've got one more step to go. You've got to go down into the liquid tomb of baptism for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, 38. Wherein baptism washes away your sin. Acts twenty two sixteen. You are a new creature. John three and five. You are a child of God. Galatians three, twenty six and twenty seven. And there in baptism you become you are added to the church of Christ. Acts two forty seven. So you need to contact brother 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 Butler or look in your local contact brother Butler and find out the local congregation in your area and become baptized. And if you are a member of the church and you have not been living right, if you are having problems learning to get over it and let it go, I stop by to tell you, you need to work on it right now. Because, again, it is therapy in forgiving folks. And it's important to learn to forgive. So be like Joseph. Get over it and learn to let it go. May God bless you. May God keep you. And I pray this message tonight has touched someone's life to say, I need to make some changes in my life. May God bless all of you. With all the talk, what is your goal? With all the talk, what is your goal? With all the talk, what is your goal? Now that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know that heaven is my goal. No matter what they say, call me and I'll go. I'll tell you I'm not saying. Lord, I hear the streets are made for pure and cold. Breath of God blow gently through my soul. Pearly gates shine, sparkles on a rainbow beam. Lord, I give my all to you. Please make my dreams come true. Heaven is my goal. That's the 
Financial Network will take the time to understand your unique situation and develop a financing solution that meets your specific need. It's an exciting time for your congregation, and what you need is a company with expertise in church financing early in the process. Call us today at 1-866-513-6665 or visit us at www.diversifiedfinancegroup.com.
updates are the announcements for the events and activities in the Churches of Christ. If you'd like to have your events and activities announced on this radio broadcast, just send me your email to my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com. Or give me a call at Stevie B's new production studio at 910-491-6405. Due to the pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic, I will not be making any public announcements until further notice regarding public meetings or assemblies. But I will be making announcements regarding the events and activities happening on social media. I do have one announcement. The Helen Street Church of Christ here in Fayetteville, North Carolina, will be meeting in their building for the Sunday morning worship services beginning at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And after their morning worship services, they will be conducting a Sunday morning Bible class that will be in the building and also on Zoom. On Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and 9 p.m. Central Standard Time, There'll be a nationwide gospel call that is sponsored by the Church of Christ in Island Heights from Houston, Texas. And the telephone number is 857-216-6700. And the access code is 328-497. This is a nationwide outreach to those who are not members of the Churches of Christ. And the speakers will be presenting the basic salvation message to learn what they must do in order to be saved. And also information regarding the Churches of Christ. And this uh, call is also intended to edify and strengthen the faith of those who are Christians. On Tuesday evening, the Delcrest Church of Christ from San Antonio, Texas, presents the Women's Virtual Bible Class at 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time, and this class will be held on www.zoom.com. And the class ID number is 821-3692-8262. Daily at 6 a.m. Central Standard Time, the Ladies in Christ prayer line hosted by the Church of Christ in Lafayette, Louisiana, and the telephone number to this prayer line is 605-472-5203. And the access code is 514-859. And my co-host Steve Cordo here on the Gospel Light Radio Show has a new book entitled God, Grace, and You. And you can order this book from the 21st Century Christian Catalog. There'll be a spring-summer series every fourth Wednesday of each month. At 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time from 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, the preacher's panel discussions join Minister Michael Crusoe. He's moderating a series of discussions featuring seasoned preachers in the Brotherhood of the Church of Christ. And the topic under discussion is expanding the role of women in Christian worship, a word from the Lord. And just a program reminder, Stevie B's new production presents. We're airing live shows here on Blog Talk Radio on Tuesday from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. I'll be hosting a live show, What a Word from the Lord Radio Show. And each week on this broadcast, I have a guest speaker from the Brotherhood of the Churches of Christ who will be presenting a lesson from the Word of God. We also have the Community Corner segment. This segment is designed for small business owners and entrepreneurs who have products and services for our community. And I also have three co-hosts on this show. Lou Gilbert, he's the evangelist for the Overbrook Park Church of Christ in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And my newest co-host, Shauna Otis, she's with the Grayway Church of Christ there in Nashville, Tennessee. And her, her team is the Mid-Tennessee Singles Ministry. And that segment will air every third Tuesday of the month. And also my newest co-host, Isa Mullins, he serves the Helen Street Church of Christ here in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And on Thursday night each week, I'm hosting a live show, the Gospel Light Radio Show, that airs from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And I have eight co-hosts on this show who will be presenting messages from the Word of God. And each week I have two of my co-hosts on the air with me. I'm also uh, taking a question from my social media platform on Facebook. 
I'd be posing to one of my co-hosts on this live show. And then on Friday night at our new time from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 to 10 p.m. Central Standard Time, I'll be hosting the live show, Stevie B's Acapella Gospel Music Blast Radio Show. And on this show, I'm playing some of the world's greatest acapella gospel music artists, the sweet sounds of voices. We also have the Story Glory segment every first Friday of the month. We're interviewing the artists that we're playing on this radio show. And I'm also doing a Top 20 Countdown show every third Friday of the month. My next uh, Top 20 Countdown show will be on May the 21st. I'll be counting down my Top 20 Acapella Gospel songs for the month of May. My on-demand episodes, if you can't catch any of these live shows, wherever you're getting your favorite podcast from, there's just a variety of musical platforms that you can use to pull up these on-demand episodes. But I always like to promote the major ones that you can find these shows on the Spotify, Apple iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, YouTube, just to name a few. I'd like to give a shout-out to all of my sponsors. I have a new sponsorship manager. If you'd like to be a sponsor of any of these radio shows, just give Michelle Marco a call at 954-687-4705. She's located in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I'd like to give a shout-out to all of my sponsors, Sharon Norwood from Chicago, Illinois, but there's a Memorial Funeral Director of Human Services out of DeSoto, Texas. Stanley Phillips he's, uh, from Little Rock, Arkansas. Cheryl Moroff from Charlotte, North Carolina. Yvonne Blazing Cracker Gooch from Nashville, Tennessee. Melvin Jackson from High Point, North Carolina. Marquise Hallman from Charlotte, North Carolina. Stephanie Booker Wilson from Greensboro, North Carolina. Diversified Financial Network, LLC, out of Dallas, Texas. Owners Mark and Charlotte Carroll. And Ordained Fate Publishing out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. The three E's of Stevie B's Media Production. It is the objective of this broadcast. We want to educate. We want to edify, we want to encourage you in the study of God's Word. And that will conclude our program announcements. Stay tuned. The shout-out question segment is coming up next. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Yeah. 
been caught in a few storms So let me tell you what I do Yeah, yeah I reach up to God's hands And He always pulls me through Yeah I really don't know what it is you're going through But I know the God we serve Yeah, yeah, yeah See, I know him well enough to know that you can trust the man, his word, praise God's will, I can see that I'm a living witness that he can deliver, gotta keep watching, gotta keep waiting for the silver lining. I remember a time in my life one day uh, I was down on my knees, I was crying and praying uh, Then he reached way down, took his big old hands And wiped all my tears away Hold on, hold on, hold on Don't give up, you gotta keep the faith There's gonna be that there's gonna be a brighter day. What I found out, even if you don't see the S U N, yeah, you can always see the S O N. Yeah, said you gotta trust and you gotta believe Jesus. He's coming again. Yeah. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Shout it out question. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Now, this is the portion of the broadcast where I have a question from my social media platform called Shout It Out. And we want to pose this question to one of my co-hosts. We also want to encourage our listeners to join this group and get involved in those biblical discussions. Now, my co-host is going to be answering our question for this segment is Brother Clay Phillips. He serves with the Rose City Church of Christ there in Thomasville, Georgia. How you doing, my brother? Marvelous, my friend. How are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. Now, we have a doozy for you. Now, this question comes from one of our other co-hosts, Glenn McMillian. He's from Richardson, Texas. He serves with the Waterview Church of Christ there in Richardson, Texas. And he says this question comes from his wife, and she wants to know, why does God require us to worship him? What say you to this question? Good evening, once again. Very uh, legitimate, powerful question that we all need to ask ourselves. And I'm so thankful that uh, God have allowed me to be able to come and prevent uh, provide an answer for the question. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'm a Bible-believing preacher, and we all are, those on this broadcast. Uh, turn your Bibles now with me to John chapter 4. And I want to read verse 23 and 24. John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. And uh, we find these words written, but the hour cometh, <clears throat> and not is. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh 
Notice what the Bible says in now. But the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So why does God require us to worship him? The rationale, understand now, the rationale behind worshiping God is common. We ought to be asking uh, why, the reason why we worship God. And so we must understand that this question is oftentimes involved a incorrect, listen to me now, an incorrect assumption about the nature of God. So when you ask the question, we must understand we're asking the question about the nature of God. So when you say, why uh, does God require us? We must understand the nature of God. And so it's all about uh, what is the benefit of worship. So when you look at uh, the text in John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, we must understand that this question baffled uh, the woman at the well. It baffled her. And so let us uh, at this time take a look at the type of the question that is being asked. Now, what do you mean by the type of the question? The question itself is fraudulent. Let me say it again. The question itself is fraudulent. In other words, what are you saying, Brother Philip? The question needs to be asked, but the question is damaging. It is imperfect. It is defective. In some way or another, the question to ask God, or uh, to ask the question, why should we, we, God request us or require us to worship him is fraud. What do you mean, Brother Philip? Let me, let me, let me help you out now. I want you to all to bear with me. I want you to stay with me now on this question. What do you mean by fraud? Uh, imagine a doctor who asks a patient to open their mouth in order to provide medicine. Does the benefit, does the benefit uh, is for the doctor or is for the patient? And so when we look here at the doctor, the doctor knows uh, that the patient needs help. And it benefits the patient. So when you look at the text, when you look at the word, the question, uh, why does God require us to worship him? It's all about uh, understanding the benefit of worship. Understand the benefit of worship. And understand our frailty. That's why God requires us to worship him. The Bible says, understand this, Isaiah, now I've got about 15 minutes here, so I'm going to move kind of fast. Isaiah 55, uh, verse 8 through 11, read it on your own. The Bible says, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as high as the heaven from the earth, so is my ways from your ways. So when we understand, we will understand the nature of God. 
And then not only God said that, uh, my ways is higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts in the heaven to the earth. It says also in round verse number uh, 11 of Isaiah uh, 55, it says, So shall my word shall not return unto me void. So God expects us, the word, to be preached. Amen? He expects the word to be preached. Now, what the issue is that we must understand, listen now, listen, we must understand that we don't understand. <laughs> we must understand that we don't understand. So in other words, the question is not asking uh, about the uh, why we are actually worshiping God. The question is asking, is he worthy to be worshipped? So now understand it. Is God worthy to be worshipped? That's that is why the, the question is fair. So when you look here at the three things I want you to look at, at the question, and then we'll get to the answer. The question is a divine question to help us understand that uh, God is incomprehensible. So the question relates to us and advises us that, first of all, we need to understand that God, that God divine is incomprehensible. It's impossible to critique, listen now, it is impossible to critique what we understand about God. As mere humans and living on a teeny tiny planet in the teeny tiny corner of the universe, listen to me, like speed, scientists have proven that there's planets so far if we use light speed, it would take billions of years to get there. Woo! And here we are on a teeny tiny planet, and God has ordained uh, us to, to be inheritors of his kingdom. What? Wow. Now, understand this. Our understanding is inherently limited. In other words, God have given us an understanding that uh, we don't understand everything. Don't you think that we understand everything? And don't you think God wants us to understand everything? You remember in Genesis chapter 11, when man began to uh, multiply from the face of the earth, and the Bible said it was one, and God, uh, they started building a tower in heaven. And God said, listen, listen look, at these, look at them. I got to stop this. Because they want to know too much. They want to go up into the heavens. They want to know too much. And, and so inherited, God confused the language. I don't want you to know everything. There's something I don't want you to know. There's too much that we don't know in this world. Now, understand this. The, the, inf the infinite of God, the, the God fun. God is just so finite that he cannot be understood. There are boundaries. Boundlessness of man is predicated on mathematical terms that we just don't understand everything. You can't add and subtract enough to really understand God. So just as the world, even our universe, uh, in is finite, of the stars and the dark matter and the black holes 
and other mysterious things that we don't even understand have even discovered out in the world. They're sending a rocket to Mars and rocket to other places trying to, to, to understand. And that's why we come up with all of this foolishness. Uh, man, to come up with this foolishness about we came from a monkey and all that because they're trying to understand. Listen, we do not understand the infinity of God. It is easy for us to misread. Now, I got 10 more minutes. I'm keeping my time. It's easy for us to misread human impulse, needs, weaknesses, distress, hunger, and thirst. As this is the action of God, we try to learn God. So now, the requirement or the request of God is not one that is made out of need. So when, when Jesus asked this question, He's not asking the question because uh, he needs something. The woman needs something. Remember, uh, he in his physical body, he asked for water to drink. Oh, yes. Then uh, he said to the woman, uh, I will give you water that you'll never thirst again. And she said, give me that. So Jesus already had that which was eternity. So when we look here at the act of worship, what worship does Understand this. The act of worship itself is more than devotion. It's more than devotion. It's uh, having an assembly. The act of worship is a, is a beneficial provider. It provides us with certain things. It engages us into a positive outcome that engages us to potential that God wants us to have potential. For human, God wants us to achieve our utmost potential. And the only way we can do that, listen, it is not in the school system, it is not in your job, it is not in anything else. The only way you can achieve, listen, the only way you can achieve what God utmost potential is understanding what worship is. So, if worship is required for our benefit, clearly, clearly, Philip, if worship is provided for our benefit, how exactly does it benefit us? Now, the answer of this question will rely upon our understanding certain, listen to this, to understand the question, very good question, why does God require us to worship him. To understand the question, you must understand the principle of worship. Now, we understand there are four different types of worship. There is vain, ignorant, will, and truth, worship. But the principle of worship is when we talk about worship. And so we must talk about worship. We must understand and be able to relate. So worship is something that we talk about, communicate with. Why does God require us to worship? We must learn. Now, let me give you some homiletics because uh, I go, I'm not going to have time to do with all this, but I'm going to try to do my best here. God, I'm trying to wrap it up. Let me give you four homiletics that help us understand why does God require us to worship. Number one, Roman number one, write this down, write this down. Only God is worthy of worship. That's why he requires us. 
Only God is, listen, worthy of worship. Turn your Bible to the book of Acts. Uh, uh, quick light. Acts chapter 17. Acts 17. And the verse is number 22. Acts 17, 22. Notice now, the Bible says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by the whole your devotion, I found an altar unto within the inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you. Now here Paul is telling me why we ought to worship God. <laughs> He's telling us why we ought to worship God. Why? He's going to tell us why we ought to be worshiping God. He said in verse number 24, God that made the world and all things therein. That, that's why we ought to be worshiping God. Why? Because he made this world. Seeing that he is Lord in the, of heaven and of earth, dwelleth not in, notice not dwelleth not in temple made by man's hand. <laughs> Neither is worshipped with men's hand as though he needed something. So now, understand, the requirement of God is not asking us to worship because he needs something. God does not need anything. What God does in his worship, he wants us to do two things in the text. Number one, he wants us to to have recognition that we are created by him, that we belong to him. And then number two, he wants us to acknowledge that we belong to him. So worship does two things. It lets others know that we recognize that there's something on the inside of us that tell us that there is a God. Somebody to tell you there's a God. There's something inside of us. When Paul went to Athens, the people knew that there was something inside of them, even though they were worshiping God wrong, ignorantly, superstitiously. But they recognized. Notice now it says in verse number uh, 25, neither worship with men hand as though he needed anything. Sin, he giveth to all life. Now here, why we worship God? Because he giveth all life, he giveth breath, all things, and have made all, and have made us of one blood, all nations of men, for to dwell upon the face of the earth, and have determined the times thereby appointed unto the boundary of the habitation. But notice in verse number 27, it says that they may seek, Woo, I love it, the Lord, if happy they might feel after him. And find him, though he be not far, everyone from us. For in him, notice now, notice, this is why we worship God. For in him we live and we move and we have our very being. Now, let me wrap this up. I've got three minutes according to my time. Number one, God uh, is worthy to be worshipped. That's why we worship him. That's why God requires us to worship him, because he created us. I want my child to obey me. Why? Because uh, my my wife and I, uh, in God's providential schedule, created them through God's birth. 
And so that's why sometimes we tell our children, I brought you in the world, I'll take you out. <laughs> so here, number two, God is uh, benevolent. So number one, you worship God, why? Because number one, he's worthy. Number two, he's benevolent. Now, what do you mean by benevolent, Brother Philip? Benevolence here means that uh, God brings everything to the table. He pay all the bills. He take care of everything. Just like the child. And the, the, there is a little child. God take care of everything. The child, um, uh, when my children were small, they were the light bill and utility bill. Why? Because parents were benevolent. What do you mean, Brother Philip? They are self-actualized. In other words, there is an inner peace. When you worship, there's an inner peace. Number two, moral foundation, clear understanding. We struggle, but there's a moral foundation. Number three, humble ourselves. There is a, there is a, a, a monotone of humbleness which goes along with the universe. In other words, even the universe understands that there's something. The Bible says in, in Romans 8, 18 through 28, that all creation grown. They know that there's a God. The, the stars and the moon and the grass and the cows and the everything else know that there is a God. There's something on the inside of us that know there's a God somewhere. And then uh, the invitation. That's why. Because God gives us invitation in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Christ said, come unto me, all you that labor and heaven labor, and I will give you rest. And then number three, homiletic, uh, says, uh, God loves to hear from his creation. God loves to hear from his creation. What do you mean, Brother Philip? He said, it's my people. It's a dialogue here between worshipers. It's my people which are called by my name, just humble themselves and seek my faith, worship me. I will hear from heaven and forgive the land. So there was mercy and there was affection that God loved us so much. And he put it inside of us. In other words, if a car is riding down the road, I don't have to worry about whether that car has an engine or not. Because something is making that car move. And that's what God is. worship does. What worship does it is our engine. It make us move. Worship is our engine. The Father seeks us to worship him. Worship is the greatest examination. When you go to school, my grandbaby, now they're in school, and they're they're taking a test. And, and so when they're in the school, they have exams at the end of the year. An exam is involved. It involves a degree of difficulty. And so here, it gives us tranquility. It gives us meaning of life, the nature of worship. That's why the Bible says, now, now, Turn to Isaiah 43, 21, and I got to stop. Isaiah 43, 21. It says, this people have I formed for myself. That's why you worship me. I created you. I formed you for myself. That they should come forth and praise me. You remember when Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verse number 40, he says, I tell you that if these stones just stop, if, if, these, if these people stop talking, the stone will speak out and worship me. So everything knows that there is God. So brother, why we worship God? Because he created us. And God bless you. In Jesus Christ's name, remember this. Keep it real. Shout it out question. 
God the highest praise just to tell him thank you. Y'all want to help me this morning? Won't you help me sing? Hallelujah. Help me sing. Yeah. No, he's worthy of praise, glory, and honor. I'm going to give him the highest praise for all of my days. Y'all don't mind. Just let me tell you a few reasons why we should praise him. Come on. God that woke us all up the morning Yeah, clothes on the back, food on the table Why we ought to give him the highest praise That ain't all he done, all he done Nails in his hands, nails in his feet For a sinner like you and me That's why we ought to praise him in this Y'all we didn't deserve it no. Come on, we ought to give them all praise Now y'all come on and help me sing this song right here I said let the spirit, let it rise Come on, let the spirit, let it rise The praises of the our King, he's our King Well I'm gonna, and you wanna Right here, come on. Tell them. I said, Lord, the people parade. Now you say, Lord, the people parade. Uh, 
fame. You know we lift you up and praise you, Lord. You praise Lord. You are the Holy One. Yes, you are, Lord. You're the one. You're the only you're the one, you're the only one. I said, Lord, the yeah. people love you. Lord, the people love you. And we place nobody above you, Lord. Lord, because you are the Holy One. Hey, Lord, you're the one, you're the only one. Come on, everybody sing hallelujah, hallelujah. hallelujah. Oh Lord, you are the Holy One. Hey, Lord, you're the one, you're the only one. I said, if I had ten thousand tongues, I would bless you with everyone. Oh Lord, you are Holy One. Oh Lord. If I hatched in a thousand hands, I would bless you as you come and oh, oh Lord, you, you are the Holy One. You are the Holy One. You're the one, you're the only one. Let me hear you say, Holy, Holy, Hallelujah. Oh Lord, then all the glory is due. listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I'm a co-host Steve Cordo and his subject, Some Things Jesus Didn't Die For, Part 1, Selfish Ambition. Well, good evening, everybody. Thank you once again, uh, Stevie, for this opportunity to be here and share a lesson out of the uh, out of the scriptures, and thank everybody for joining us on Facebook. Do put a comment if you can hear. Uh, we are having a little problem for some reason with the audio. I'm just fighting my usual battle with all things electronic. But this lesson series actually came to me by way of a uh, request of sorts from one of our members 
And we're going to look at the flip side of the coin of just why did Jesus die? Uh, I received this article from beliefnet.com that was relayed to me by, as I said, one of our members, and I read it. Uh, she said that this could be a sermon, and I read it and thought, hmm, this could actually be a series of, of uh, lessons. And so tonight this is going to be part one. But as we get on with the lesson, let's look at a couple of things to lay the groundwork here. Some of the reasons that Jesus did die for us, uh, we probably are familiar with them, but we'll just do a quick recap. They would include, number one, he died to pay the cost of sin. 1 John chapter 2 says he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Now, the word propitiation uh, is one of those fancy words that just means it, it's the cost. Somebody had to pay the cost, and so he did. Isaiah 53 verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone from his own way, and the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all on him. He also died to condemn Satan. Remember in John chapter 8, he called Satan the father of all lies. And in 1 John chapter 3, the apostle would later say that he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And for this purpose, the Son of God was manifest or made known that he might destroy the works of the devil. And then, of course, uh, Hebrews chapter 2 says that uh, inasmuch then as the children uh, have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Christ also died so that all believers could have a new life. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. So that is uh, an advantage big time if you want to have a new life, start over, clean conscience, clean slate. That's the way you would do it because that uh, is what's going to set us apart. One writer writing on this verse said that our churches are in serious trouble today because there is virtually no difference between the average church member and the person who is not a Christian. God meant for Christians to be different, to live a different kind of life, to be on a different moral level from those who are not Christians and yet there is practically no difference uh, in lifestyle. I would go back and borrow uh, uh, and paraphrase a quote from Ronald Reagan years ago and apply it to Christianity that we need to have bold colors, bold differences that stand out, not blend pastels that tend to uh, blend in. We also see in Romans chapter 6 that therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, uh, just as uh, Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk a new life. That's when the new life starts is, is when we are immersed and raised up. Just think for a minute, when a person dies, death is pretty, uh, pretty, uh, uh, pretty much the end of it. It is a pretty radical cut, and uh, that's the way it should be with our old lives. So this article in this series, as I said, we're going to look based on this article, Six Things Jesus Didn't Die For from BeliefNet. Dot com And so this evening, we're going to start off with selfish ambition. What do I mean by selfish ambition? It's good to have ambition. Uh, my my seven-year-old, uh, last time I checked with her, wanted to go to medical school and be a doctor. That's great. She uh, has picked out the school, even picked out her roommate that uh, she wants to go with. And that's all great. That's good to have that kind of ambition. But what are we talking about with selfish ambition? William Gladstone was Prime Minister of Great Britain four times, and he is credited with saying that selfishness is the greatest curse to the human race. 
arguably, uh, he's right on the money. That that is arguably the worst uh, curse that we have is these is the selfishness, where I'm always thinking of me, 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 and not others. Because we have to remember that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. He said that himself, especially when he was uh, washing the disciples' feet just before his crucifixion. Now, here's the self, kind of selfish ambition we're talking about. In Matthew chapter 20, when the mother of uh, Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said, grant that these two sons of mine may sit on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said to him, we are able. So he said to them, well, you indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the, with my, with the baptism that I'm baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. Now notice she came to them, kneeling down to worship Jesus, and she's showing him the utmost respect, but she's got ulterior motives. She's coming to ask something from him. Now, it's not wrong to ask God for things. It's not wrong to ask for anything we need, but what's your motivation? Because don't we sometimes go and ask God for things just to hoping he'll get something back to us? I mean, how many of us when we were kids, or maybe if you have kids, they do it now, I might go mow the lawn or I might clean my room or something, and then I would go uh, to Dad and say, hey, Dad, yeah, I mowed the lawn. Yeah, okay, so, well, I'd like to go to the movies tonight and thought you might give me a few bucks for doing that. You know, sure, I mowed the lawn. It was a good, uh, a good deed to do, a good job, but my motivation was more self-interest, not just to help out around the house or do anything uh, like that. So you have to ask yourself, do I ever uh, serve God expecting something in return? Again, do I ever ask my parents for something or a coworker or a boss expecting something in return that I'm going to keep track of it so I can come back later and say, hey, wait a minute, do you remember the time that I did such and such for you, that I covered your shift? Well, you owe me. That's basically what we do with God, isn't it? We have to remember true service for God is for who he is and what he has done. It's not so that I can gain some kind of special advantage. You know, it's as if uh, James and John were coming to him and saying, yeah, yeah, we get it. You're going to be betrayed. You're going to be uh, mocked, beaten, and you're going to do all that. But, but what about us? I mean, when you are raised up, uh, can, can we have those prominent positions? It, 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 would really be, it, it would really be great if we could. And so he's trying to tell them, you really don't know what you under, understand or what you're asking. I just got done saying the selfless thing that I'm going to do, and then you come back with a very selfish request. They weren't getting it. It wasn't sinking in. They really were not understanding. You do not know what you ask, he told them. It's the same when we have selfish ambitions. We don't really think about what will happen afterwards. We just want whatever it is we think is, is actually coming uh, our way. And then you notice the results or the, the reaction of the other disciples. The others heard it. They were greatly displeased or indignant. That's another word I have a hard time with. Uh, they were furious. They were mad. They, they didn't like uh, what they had just heard. They, and keep in mind that this is something his disciples would do. They would argue amongst themselves about who was the greatest and who would be, uh, do the best and the better. 
They, they did that, and he put a stop, tried to put a stop to it by reminding them that that was how the Gentiles behaved. The, uh, at the heart of all of this is pride. I, I want to be able to say that I'm sitting at the right hand of Jesus. I want to be, okay, well, I want to be on his left. I want to be there close. Why? Well, so I can have bragging rights. And Jesus you know, was saying that those who don't know me go around lording themselves over others. But look at me. I'm the king of the universe, and look what I did. Look what I gave up to come down here to do this, this job of saving mankind. He needed to teach them that this prideful, self-centered, and jockeying for position stuff was not only undignified, it's not spiritual. It's not the kind of thing that he wants uh, of his people to step out like that. Remember, he is the one who washed the disciples' feet. He said, and I'm paraphrasing here, you, know, you call me teacher and Lord, and, that, and that's right, because that's what I am. But look what I've done. I've washed your feet, something that the lowest servant in the household typically does. And you'll be blessed if you do the same, if you have that same servant attitude. Chuck Swindoll once said, what does the Lord do to assist me in seeing how selfish I am? He gives me four busy kids who step on shoes, wrinkle clothes, spill milk, lick car windows, and drop sticky candy on the carpet. Now think about that. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. You know as a parent your kids have to come first. The being unselfish in attitude is going to really strike at the core of human nature. It means I'm willing to forego my own comfort, especially if you have children, because once you have children, it's not about you anymore. It's about the kids. And it's about taking care of them. And, yes, sometimes, parents, we really have to put our kids uh, ahead of us and sometimes have to give up some things we want. But that's just the way it is, which means our attitude needs to be Christ-like. And what, is, what, what does that mean, you know, going around and, and uh, spreading out lots of fish and, and that sort of – no, that's not what I'm talking about. So we're going to go over here now for a minute to Philippians chapter 2, where Paul is going to cite some characteristics of a humble person. And this is where he talked about Jesus being humble enough that he gave up the, uh, uh, his splendor in heaven and became obedient to the point of death on the cross. He's going to give these three um, characteristics. Number one is uh, the humble person thinks of others before himself. Paul said in verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Now notice he qualifies it. He said selfish ambition. Uh, the, as I said earlier, there's nothing wrong with wanting a good education or to make yourself better or something like that. But when it gets to be selfish, that I'm willing to sacrifice my family or sacrifice friends or something like that, I've crossed a line at that point. Be selfless instead of selfish in your way of thinking. And that means that I do have to sometimes maybe hold the door for someone and let them go in first. That's a small thing, but it, may, it might also be something bigger that I have to give up maybe for my family or, or something along those lines. Uh, when the Christian is humble, we're going to think of others before self. Pride, then, it has no place to operate. Pride is just one of those things where I'm looking out for me. A humble person is someone who's not going to be conceited, think of themselves as better than anyone else, that I'm going to understand that, you know, there's always going to be someone better. Kind of reminds me of the Karate Kid in the scene where Ralph Macchio tells uh, Mr. Miyagi that, um, you, you know, why are you ever afraid? You know karate. And as he's walking away, he says, 
somebody always knows more. I've got to remember, if there's going to be someone who knows more than you, is better at something than you, and that can be very humbling when we do run into that kind of a person. And in this case, it looks like in in Philippi there were some issues with pride, that there were some people uh, there who had a very uh, – they, they were basically squabbling among themselves about who was the better. There's a story that's told about Ulysses Grant uh, when he was president of the United States. He was on his way to a reception where he was the guest of honor. And remember in those days there's no television, no internet, none of that. There were a lot of people who knew the name and probably knew he was president, but they didn't know what he looked like. And as he was getting to the hotel, it was raining, and he shared an umbrella with another man who happened to be going to the same reception. And the man, not recognizing who was sharing the umbrella with him, turned to President Grant and said, I've never seen President Grant, and I merely go to satisfy a personal curiosity. But hey, between you and me, I've always thought that Grant was much overrated. President Grant just turned to him and said, well, that's my view also. So his same view should characterize the life uh, of a Christian, thinking less of ourselves and more of others. A second characteristic we see in Philippians chapter 2 is sacrificial servanthood. Look at verse 8. I have it there on the screen where he says, Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. The Greek word here is, uh, is a word that means uh, his nature. It's talking about his essence. He was there to die for sinful humanity. He made that sacrifice to give up all that he had. You know, all humans have to die at some point, but Jesus accepted death in obedience to God's will. A humble person also doesn't consider others better than himself, but he puts his way of thinking into action. That's what Paul is talking about there in verse 4 of chapter 2. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And I just got to note that the live stream is dropping a little bit on on Facebook, Um, but if it goes completely, then we might have to drop it. But Galatians 6, carry each other's burdens in his way, and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. That goes back to putting things into action. Live in this way, Paul said, and so fulfill uh, that law. Every, from a human standpoint, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense for us to uh, put others ahead. But following Christ's example, your attitude should be that of, of Christ. And then the third characteristic of a humble person is the desire to glorify God over self, where we give God the credit. He's reminding the Philippians that everything Jesus did was for God's glory. He didn't do anything selfishly. And Jesus told us that we should think and live in this way. That should be the way all of us go about. And then notice verse 11. Therefore, now remember when you see therefore, you need to ask, what is it there for? He's drawing a conclusion. Whenever you see something like that, the therefore is going to be drawing a conclusion. And his conclusion is God exalted him above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of things in in heaven and on the earth and things under the earth, and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's kind of the irony there, because we think that by being selfless we receive less, that we're going to somehow be deprived. But really it's the opposite, because remember, Jesus humbled himself. He said, whoever humbles himself will be exalted, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. 
kind of going along the same thing when he said the first shall be last and the last shall be first. If you really think of yourself as more than what you are and really like to boast a lot about your abilities, there's a way you can get brought down. Someone who, who thinks they're a really good athlete might get hurt and lose that athletic ability. Uh, someone who might have a, a good uh, uh, ability to make money and, and very profitable might suddenly find themselves in a business that's not so profitable. An A student can suddenly bomb a test. It could go any way. But don't ever think of let your, yourself get uh, uh, too big of an ego. Of course, if, if you're married, your spouse will probably help you in that regard. Now, remember the commercial you've seen, I'm sure, where it asks, what's in your wallet? Well, as we're wrapping this up, let's ask, what's in my heart? What's in your heart? What's in my heart? Of course, we're not talking about the pump in our chest. We're talking about our mind and our spirit. Because in Ezekiel chapter 30, the people there were listening but not putting it into practice. He says, as for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses, and they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, Please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people. They hear your word, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. They were listening. They're sitting in them. Just imagine this. You're sitting in church on Sunday. The preacher's up there giving his, his message, his sermon. But you're, and you're, you're looking, but it's just going in this year and not the other year. You're thinking about the ball game. You're thinking about, I hope he finishes so we can beat the other churches down to Denny's. Oh, man, I got that roast in the oven. I wish he'd hurry up. You're not really listening. You're not letting it have any effect on you at that point. It didn't penetrate their hearts. It, it, it wasn't getting through. Their mouths were full of devotion, but their hearts weren't. They were calling everybody to come and hear this great speaker named Ezekiel. Come on and come hear him. And then they would do, what did he say? I, I, I couldn't tell you. I don't remember. And that's how selfishness operates. It starts with desiring and acquiring things through honest means, but it evolves into taking what you get by whatever means possible. There's nothing wrong with wanting something. There's nothing wrong if you want a, a new house, new car, uh, a new job. But when you get to the point that that is your idol, that I am pushing through, I, I, I'm going to, uh, instead of putting the money towards the mortgage, I'm going to put it towards this other car that I want or this trip that I want. Even though it's going to hurt my family, I'm going to still do it. That's where you've crossed a line. That's where you're putting selfish motives ahead of others. And if left alone, it will progress. If you don't do something about bad habits or about sins, they're going to stay there. They're going to get worse, and they have to be replaced with something. So here are some things the psalmist says to ask God uh, to do uh, in this regard that will help us to be uh, less selfish and more selfless. He says in Psalm 119, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law indeed. I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies, not to, uh, not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. So notice, number one, he asks for God to help him focus. Sometimes our focus gets uh, off, off track. 
we focus on the wrong things. We put too much focus on, on the minutia instead of things that are really important. If you're having a problem with focus, ask God to help you focus and direct yourself uh, in a better direction because hearts are naturally going to go towards uh, the things that interest us and the things that we really want. Second, ask for understanding. Many times things go on in life that we don't understand, we don't know about. You know, ask God for understanding, especially if it's something you're trying to study through Scripture. And ask for direction. Proverbs chapter 3, uh, verses 5 and 6 says, trust, not, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. See, sometimes God sends things our way or we get into situations that doesn't make any sense to us at the time. Maybe later on down the road it will make some sense to us. And then ask God to turn our hearts away from the worthless things toward the, the, inval- toward the valuable things. Turn it towards things that we really need. It says invaluable there, but it should be valuable on the screen. There's a typo that got past me. Uh, but go towards the valuable things, the things that are really important, such as your family, such as God, such as um, other loved ones, and not necessarily just pursuing uh, uh, the almighty dollar. Because our natural tendency is to be selfish. So we need help getting our hearts changed, getting them changed to where they will be uh, a more uh, selfless. Which then I want to ask one more thing about our priorities. What are your priorities? In Luke chapter 12, someone in the crowd asked Jesus to tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. And his response, though not directly on topic, was still pointing him in, a, in another direction. This is where Jesus eventually goes into the story of the parable of the rich fool. The response pointing to a higher issue, and that is the accumulation of wealth. This guy is just, hey, give me my share of the inheritance. Just give it to me. And Jesus tried to tell them, look, life is not about the accumulation of things. It doesn't matter if you do become a multimillionaire. You've got a big house, a swimming pool, maybe multiple houses around the world. Guess what? One of these days, they're going to belong to somebody else. You're going to die and go on to, uh, to, to meet your maker, and that house is going to either be passed on to your children, your spouse, or it's going to be sold at auction. And then uh, what are you going to do about it? It's one of, the most prom- one of the things we have to keep in mind. No matter what we acquire here in this life, it is not permanent. And instead of coming to Jesus to get spiritual truth, this man was focusing on material justice. I want my share. I want what's coming to me is what he was after. And Jesus is trying to tell him, no, you, you're thinking too narrow. you got some other things to think about. Later on in the series, we'll be looking at the rich fool and uh, how he plays out in some of the things Jesus did not die for. So instead of looking to Jesus as Savior, this man was trying to get him to be a negotiator. But Jesus says, watch out. When greed takes over, we start to lose sight of what's really important. And greed for money, greed for, for houses, greed for a better job, that, that becomes an idol at that point. And instead of his priorities being on thanking God, that man uh, was thinking about himself. He wasn't thanking God that he, he had uh, 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 possessions, that he had been successful. He was thinking about himself. He was already rich, and the Lord had blessed him with far more than he could use in this life. So if we're unwilling to share what God has blessed us with, then we can run the risk of losing everything we have. The greatest difficulty with the world is not its inability to produce, but its inability or its unwillingness to share. We live selfishly 
everyone loses. So that's my lesson for this evening. Thank you again, Stevie, for uh, having uh, me on the show, and we'll see you all next month. Will you forgive me? For I've done wrong. And will you accept me, Jesus? As I kneel at your throne, dear Lord, and all of my brothers, he will always criticize and accuse. Yes, he will, but I know that my Jesus, he will make me brand new. I'm ready at my bidding, Lord. Lord, hear my sin, please. Cause you're a God of second chance. I see them cry. And they each have a stone. But you milk beside me, Jesus. And my fears are all gone. Praise God. Cause you give me peace. Clean me up, gave me way. 
more shame, no more doubt, no more guilt, Lord. So I ask the Lord to use me. listening to the gospel light radio show ladies and gentlemen i want to thank you for tuning into the broadcast we certainly appreciate your love and support for these radio shows and we also appreciate those who've been following the radio show via blog talk radio as well as social media we certainly appreciate uh our co-hosts who presented their messages on this evening's broadcast my first co-host in the first segment brian christian coleman gave us a lesson regarding get over it and let's go great lesson brian does always does a great job on the show and also my co-host steve cordo and his subject some things that jesus didn't die for part one selfish ambition always appreciate the efforts of my co-host on this radio show and my co-host clay phillips he answered the question from my other co-host glenn mcmillian's wife from richardson texas she wanted to know why does god require us to worship him and my brother clay gave us a very thorough answer for that question as well ladies and gentlemen we are just thrilled to be able to bring you a weekly broadcast it is our prayer that the lessons that were given on this radio show have been beneficial to your spiritual lives and your relationship with the lord has been strengthened because you're not only tuning in this radio show 
but you're giving yourself over to a study of God's Word. I'm your host, Stephen R. Butler, and I want to say on behalf of all of my co-hosts here on the Gospel Light Radio Show, we really do appreciate your love and support for these radio programs. Good night, everybody. God bless you. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. It ain't easy. No. Sometimes it gets hard down here, Lord. Sometimes it gets rough. So rough, so rough. Sometimes it gets tough for me. Has anybody been lonely all by yourself? Has anybody been sad, broken hearted and sad? Have you even been dead? You had to cry all night.
You've been listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show, episode 229.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.